0: that in a little bit. We've been talking about some of the events that led up to the crucifixion of Jesus. Uh, We've seen Him in the garden. Uh, We've seen some of the peripheral things that took place in in the uh, crucifixion or during the crucifixion. And some of those things prove that He is the Son of God, and like the centurion, who was an outsider, made that great confession that truly this is the Son of God, or was the Son of God. And it's kind of amazing that many times we read that His disciples seem to have difficulties believing that Jesus had come forth out of the grave. But if you remember last Sunday when we looked at Jesus walking with the two on the road to Emmaus, that He took them to the Scripture and He talked to them. And the interesting thing there was, uh, to me, was uh, their hearts burned. They burned with, uh, with uh, a desire and with hope and with all the things that Jesus had talked to them about. And when we talk about death, we realize that we're all going to die. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 9 and verse 27 that it's appointed unto man once to die, but after this the judgment. And there's really only one question about life and death and eternity, and that is, is Christ risen? Is He alive? And I think that we have seen, and I think that some of the evidence that we've looked at shows us that He is alive but I want to look at Paul this morning and what he tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, chapter. Because we talked a little bit about that last Sunday. But I think that there's more information that we can glean from that chapter. And Paul does go into some great detail. But before we get there, I want to remind ourselves of what it says in John chapter 2. In John chapter 2, Jesus had cleansed the temple, he had made him a cord and had driven the animals out. And the money changers, his their tables he had overturned. And in John chapter two and verse sixteen, he said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence, make not my father's house a house of merchandise. And he was questioned about his authority, and why he did what he did, to do what he did. And so he they wanted a sign. And in John chapter two and verse eighteen. What signs showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? I think that it's commendable that they wanted to know His authority for doing what He did. And we need to have authority today. I think that it's good to see book, chapter, and verse to prove what we're saying to be the truth from God's Word. But in John chapter 2, and verse 19, Jesus said, He answered them and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. In verse 20, the Jews said, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? And in verse 21 of that same chapter, it tells us that He spake of the temple of His body. And so Jesus is saying, what authority? You want to know what authority I have? Well, you want a sign? Well, I'll give you a sign, but it's going to come when I die. When I die on a cross and I'm laid in a tomb, and on the third day I'm going to come forth out of the grave. Well, they didn't understand that. They thought he was talking about the physical temple that was there uh, that they were standing in. But Jesus was talking about his body. And so, when he come forth out of that grave, that shows us the authority that he had, not only in this situation, but in every situation where he gave instructions and told people what they needed to know. But I want you to notice what it says in John chapter two and verse twenty-two. When therefore he was risen from the dead. His disciples remembered that He had said this unto them and they believed the Scripture and the words which Jesus has said. Again, that's very interesting because as I try to point out that many times we have seen where questions were raised and even on the road to Emmaus when Jesus was talking to those individuals they referred to the Bible. He would have referred them to the Bible. And so the Scripture is always the answer. Why is the scripture the answer? Because there is where the truth that God wants us to know is revealed. How he wants us to live, how he wants us to be saved, how he wants us to, to, to do what he wants us to do in this life, and how we can stay in a safe condition so that heaven will be our home. And so when we talk about death, I think one of the greatest chapters that are that that's available to us is First Corinthians the fifteenth chapter. Because there's a lot of detail and a lot of uh, examples that Paul talks about in that chapter. And so let's read the, uh, the chapter as we, as we begin, uh, continue our lesson. First Corinthians 15, chapter, beginning of verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain." "...for I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, and that He was buried, and that He arose again the third day according to the Scripture, and that He was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that He was seen above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remains unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that He was seen of James, and then of all the apostles." And last of all, he was seen of me also as the one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, that I am not mean to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. For I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me." Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preached, and so ye believed. Now, if Christ be preached, that He rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain." Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, ye are yet in your sins. Then they also, which are fallen asleep in Christ, are perished." If in this life only we have hope in Christ we are of all men most miserable but now in Christ but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept for since man came de- death or since by man came death by man came also the resurrection of the dead for as an animal die even so in Christ shall all be made alive but every man in his own order Christ the first fruits Afterwards, they that are in Christ at His coming. Then cometh the end when He shall have delivered up the kingdom of God, even the Father, when He shall have put put down all rule and all authority and power. For He must reign until He hath put all enemies under His feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For He hath put all things under His feet. But when He saith all things are put under Him, it is manifest that He is expected which did put all things under Him. That's accepted. And and when all things shall be subdued unto Him, then shall the Son also Himself be subject unto Him that put all things under Him, that God may be all in all. Else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead? If the dead raise not at all, why are they then baptized for the dead? And why stand ye in jeopardy every hour? I protest by your rejoicing which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. If after the manner of man I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage it me if the dead rise not? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Be not deceived, evil communication corrupt good manners. Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. But some men will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened except it die. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not the body that shall be, but bear grain, it it may chance of wheat or of some other grain. But God giveth it a body as it hath pleased Him, and to every seed His own body. All flesh is not the same flesh. But there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fish, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial. But the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for one star differeth from another star in glory. So also in the resurrection of the dead, Is it sown in corruption? It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor? It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness? It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body? It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Howbeit, That was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterwards that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is of the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly." And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. There we see what Paul has to say. A great deal of information. We're not going to deal with all of that. But I want us to understand that the church that Paul is addressing had many problems. And we can find when he opens the letter up uh, to the the church, he calls them saints, he calls them the church of God, but he needs to remind them that our victory comes through Christ. We know that the church at Corinth had many problems. It had problems of division in chapter 1. It had problems of still being worldly. Uh, Carnal is the word that the King James used in chapter 3, or chapter 4, well, chapter 3, and immorality was a problem that they had in chapter 5. And we can see that they had confusion over the Lord's Supper in chapter 11. And then again, they had confusion over the the, the miracles, or the uh, miraculous gifts that they were able to do uh, in chapters 12 through 14. And then we see that Paul addresses the victory, reminds them of the victory. And not only in chapter 1 did he remind them that they were to follow Christ, it's Christ that we have the victory in, and that's what Paul is telling them here in chapter 15. We have the victory because Jesus died on the cross, because He was laid in the tomb, and He arose victorious over the grave on the third day. And so Paul ends his letter with the truth about the resurrection in chapter 15. But I want us to concentrate on three verses this morning. Verse 13, verse 20, and verse 27. Because they all begin with the same word, but. I was trying to think of the name of this sermon and I thought three buts, but I'm not sure that would have went over too well. And so I've got what i got on the screen. And so that's what we're going to look at in those verses. Because when you talk about what is... I think I left my clicker down there. Did I? Right here. That's what happens when you get old. But verse thirteen is talking about what if. But there's a lot of what ifs in our world that we could deal with or think about that we are that are kind of frightening. When you think about the what ifs of history. What if Christopher Columbus had not made his voyage to this world? What if he had not come to America? Well, you say, well, there would probably be some statues we don't have to tear down. Uh, but he came. And because he came, we're here. And a lot of other people are here. And a lot of things happened because of, as a result of that. What if the Japanese, when they bombed Pearl Harbor, if they'd have continued on to the mainland of the United States, what would have happened? So that's a what if. Well, what if Adolf Hitler had pushed his advantage and taken over uh, uh, England? What if? And so you can look at a lot of battles in history and say, what if this was done, what would have happened? And so we can play with those what ifs. We can look at some of the cures that we had for diseases, smallpox, mentioned that I think last Sunday, smallpox, Uh, we have a vaccination against that, but we've wiped out the virus. Why is that? Well, an estimated 300 million people died as a result of that uh, plague, but we have a vaccine for it. Or there was a vaccine. And a lot of us older people have scars to show that we had that vaccine. But when you go back in history and you read about some of those things, it sounds a whole lot like today. People made fun of the vaccine. They made fun of the things that took place. They got upset because people were quarantined. They did all the same things that's happening today. Go back and look at history. We're no different today than they were back when they had that problem. And so we need to wonder, what if? What if there was never a vaccine? How many millions of people would have died? And we're going to ask today, well, how many people is going to, would die without the vaccine that's been created now? And so there's a lot of what ifs that we could talk about in history. But what about the what ifs in our own lives? Sometimes those can be very frightening too. What if you had not married that godly spouse? What if that, that spouse that you have didn't help you? To be a Christian. To live the Christian life. What if you still hung around with that wrong crowd, that wrong group of people, and you ran with them? What, Where would you have ended up? As Paul says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, he didn't waste that grace that God had extended to him. He was obedient. Now, brethren, we can think of all the what-is. What if you never heard the Gospel yourself, and you were, and you never became a Christian? Where would you be today? Think about that <clears throat> in your own life just for a few minutes. Where would you be today if you'd never heard the Gospel? The truth of God's Word. <clears throat> but none compare to what it says... None of the what is compared to what it says in verse 13. In verse 13 it says, but if there be no resurrection. If there be no resurrection. If Jesus did not come forth out of the grave. What would that mean? What would the consequences of that be? Well, Paul starts to tell us some of those things. And one of them is that, uh, the fact that our preaching would be vain. Now, he's talking about himself, and he's talking about the other apostles, that their preaching would be vain. But think of all the sermons that you've heard in your lifetime. Think of the great Gospel preachers that have preached some great Gospel sermons. You can think of people like Perry Cotham. You can think of Gus Nichols. You can think of Floyd Wallace. You can think of a lot of individuals who have preached some tremendous sermons and had a great impact. Marshall Keeble. I've read where he he was instrumental in about 40,000 people being baptized. But if what Paul is questioning here, if Christ isn't risen... Yet all that preaching was vain. Most of us, uh, some of us that were older, can remember the campaign that they had down in Cobo Arena. Jimmy Allen preached. Hundreds of people obeyed the gospel. Would have been a waste of time. Because if Christ hasn't come forth out of the grave, all preaching concerning the Bible, concerning the Christ, would be vain. Think of all those sermons that you've listened to. It'd be a waste of your time. If there's no resurrection, our faith would also be vain. Our faith would be empty. It would be useless. Because faith is trust. And we trust God. And the Bible teaches us that we have to believe what the Word of God tells us. In Romans chapter 10 verse 17, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Our faith must be produced or based upon what the Bible teaches us. A lot of people say, "Well, I just believe, and I think that what I'm doing is OK, and it violates Scripture, but they think that they're all right with God, that God doesn't care. Somehow he gave us a book, give us instruction, but all of a sudden he's not going to expect us to follow it, because I'm so special. I'm not that special. I have to obey what the Bible teaches. And my faith must be based upon the Word of God. And so we also realize that that faith is something that moves us. Look at those that were on the road to Emmaus. What did it say? They burned. They they were excited. It lifted them up to hear the Scripture and to hear Jesus and so they were happy. And that's what the Word of God does. It gives us confidence. Why? Because we trust Him. And faith is dependence upon God to do what He tells us to do. That He will do what He tells us He will do. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, "...but without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him." We have a promise of the forgiveness of sin when we seek God and we do what God has told us to do. And you can read the rest of the chapter of Hebrews chapter 11 and you can see the individuals there who heard what God wanted them to do and they followed through and did those things. For example, Noah told to build an ark. God told him how to build it. What kind of wood? How big? How wide? How tall? What to put in it? And as a result of that, you and I are here today because Noah did exactly what God told him to do. He depended upon God. He trusted God. And as a result of that, we are here. Every one of us are here because of what Noah did. Their faith that you read about in Hebrews chapter 11 caused them to depend on God And in some cases, it saved their lives. Our faith brings salvation when it moves us to obey what the Scriptures teach we must do in order to be saved. But, but, if there's no resurrection, then our faith is vain. What we preach is a waste of time. What we believe is a waste of time. And I like the way Paul says it. We are of all people most miserable because we believe a lie and we worship that lie. We're here today because of that lie, if it's not true. Paul goes on to say that those who have already died are perished and they have no hope of heaven and we have no hope of heaven. Then in verse 20, Paul tells us, But now is Christ risen from the dead. He lives. There's no more ifs. It's a fact that he came forth out of the grave. And Paul goes, in this chapter, Paul expresses to us those who are eyewitnesses. To seeing Jesus after he come forth out of the grave, he talks about Peter and the twelve and the five hundred. Of the majority are still with them at that particular time that he's writing that letter, and Jesus appeared to James and all the apostles. And then we see that he appeared to Paul, and so those individuals were eyewitnesses to the fact that they had seen Jesus alive. After the crucifixion, after he'd been laid in a tomb, after he came forth out of the grave. And may I remind you that many of these individuals, especially the apostles, died preaching and teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't know too many people that will die for a law for a lie. And so we, we can be confident that those individuals that Paul's mentioning, they could go and ask them, did you see Jesus? And they could tell them what took place. They testified that Jesus was alive. And so therefore, all the former things that Paul talked about, the preaching being vain, our faith being vain, people being lost, all of those things have no meaning. Because the Gospel is true. Jesus is alive He did come forth out of the grave, and all the truthful scriptural preaching that we hear is true. Now I say all the truthful scriptural preaching is true because I know there's some false teachers that are out there that teach things that are not true. And they may use some Scripture, and they may take it out of context. They may twist it. They do a lot of things to it. And so it has to be truthful, spiritual, or scriptural teaching for it to be the truth, for it to be the Gospel. And the faith that is proved or produced from hearing God's Word is sure. And we can have confidence in it. And because of that, because we believe what the Bible teaches because of the witnesses that Paul mentioned, and because we know that Jesus is alive, that teaching that we learn from God's Word can bring about salvation if we will obey it. Because it's dependable. God gives us the information that we need. We trust Him. We depend on Him. That if we are obedient, that He will reward us because we diligently sought Him. Now, suppose all of what we just talked about is true. Suppose He did come forth out of the grave. Suppose He is alive. Well, the fact of the matter is, He is alive. He did come forth out of the grave. We don't have to suppose. We don't have to doubt it. We don't have to wonder about it. He came forth out of the grave. And it is true. And so we look at verse 57. Which because it is true, the reason it is true, is we need to be thankful to God who gave us the victory. God gives us the victory. Jesus dying on the cross gives us the victory. First Corinthians fifteen verse fifty five through fifty six O grave, where is thy sting? Or o death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law we obey the Gospel, we're no longer bound by Satan. We're no longer bound by sin. We're no longer bound by all of these other things that Paul is talking about here. We have been set free because of the blood that Jesus shed on the cross. And because He has risen from the dead, we have the victory. Because He came forth out of the grave, He has the authority to say what He said that we need to do in order to be saved. We have victory over death. When death comes into our lives, when death comes into our homes, it hurts. It stings. Why? Because we we have an empty place in our hearts, an empty place in our lives, and so it does hurt. But for the Christian, we don't have to fear death, as Paul said in Philippians chapter one and verse twenty-one. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. How many of us have the attitude that Paul had? Are we living for Christ every day, but realizing that if life comes to an end, that it's something that's better? That there's gain from that. By living for Christ, we can live with Christ for eternity. You see, sin is one of the major reasons why people fear death. Many times people don't want to die because of something that's happened in their past, something that they did. And so they're afraid of death. And sometimes, even as a Christian, we may wonder are we good enough? Have we done enough? But Jesus tells us in John chapter 8 and verse 24 I said, said, therefore unto you, that ye shall die in your sins, for if ye believe not that I am He, ye shall die in your sins. We trust God. That when He says that the blood of Christ cleanses us, that when we do what He's told us to do, that we can have the forgiveness of sin. And in Romans chapter 6, we see the picture of baptism as the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ. We die to sin, we come up out of that water a new creature. Just like God, Christ came out of, that, out of the grave, a new creature. Brother, we need to listen to what God says and trust Him. Sin does separate us from God. It is something that we need to deal with in our lives. And Paul was told in Acts chapter 22, verse 16, and now why terriest thou art, arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Why did he need to be baptized? To wash away his sin. How, was, how did that take place? In the act of baptism. There's no magic in the water, it's just simple obedience to God. We're doing what the Bible teaches us that we need to do in order to be saved. And we're calling on the name of God or the name of the Lord to do what He's told us that He would do, and that is to wash away our sins. And when He washes them away, they're gone. There's no stain left behind. It's gone. And we trust Him. We depend upon Him to do what He said He would do. In First John chapter 1, verse 6, we find that as a Christian, we don't have to go down in the watery grave of baptism and come up again. We would all be baptized every week, every, every day, if that was the case. But as a Christian, we are a child of God and that blood continually cleanses us. Because it tells us, beginning in verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanses us from all sin. And so we're cleansed by that blood when we confess that we have sinned and ask God's forgiveness. John goes on to say that in John chapter 1, that we need to confess our sin. So as a Christian, as a child of God, one that has been baptized into Christ, we have the blood that cleanses us from all sin. In Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 12, it says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, but also is the free gift. For, in, for if through the offense of one many be dead... Much more the grace of God and a gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abound unto many. And so we sin. And, and let me just uh, look at First uh, John chapter four or three and verse four. It says, "Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law." So when we sin, we violated something that God wants us uh, says, "Don't violate." It's like being in the garden with Adam and Eve. They were forbidden to eat of a particular fruit. When they ate of it, they sinned. That was a law that God had said, don't eat of that fruit. When they ate of that fruit, they violated that law. Well, we still have laws today that we are to obey. We have to obey the law of Christ. Jesus for one says, if you love Me, keep My commandments. In other words, do what He says. He asked the question, why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? If He is our Lord and Master... We have a law that we are to follow. And when we break that law, when we violate that law, we sin. And that sin separates us from God. And so we need the blood of Christ to continually cleanse us so that we can be made right in the sight of God and have heaven as our home. Because of what Jesus did on the cross and because he rose from the grave, we have victory not only over death, but over sin. We can overcome sin. And yes, we have the victory over the grave. John chapter 5, verse 28, beginning, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming into which all that are in the grave shall hear His voice. And shall come forth they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Jesus says that everybody's going to come forth out of the grave. Those that are prepared, those that are unprepared. Those that are saved and those that are unsaved. We're all coming out of the grave. In First Corinthians 15, verse 23, Paul says, but every man in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits. Afterwards, they that are Christ at His coming. And so Jesus is the fruit. He came forth out of that grave. We can look forward to that same promise. How's that going to happen? I don't know. Can't imagine how it's going to happen. But as I said before, if God can take dust and form it into a man and breathe it into His nostrils the a breath of life, and He becomes a living soul, He can put us all back together again on that final day. <clears throat> you see, Jesus came forth out of that grave. And you and I can will come forth out of that grave also. Because Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, We even have victory over the grave. Why? How do we have that victory? Because Jesus died on the cross. And when we are obedient to His Gospel, then guess what? We can have that victory over the grave, over death, and over sin. Jesus told His disciples to go into all the world and preach the Gospel. In 1 Corinthians 15, what we just read... Paul declares unto us what that Gospel is, that Jesus died for our sins, that He was laid in a tomb, and that on the third day He arose, according to the Scripture. That's the, the basis of the Gospel. That Jesus did what He did so that you and I could have the forgiveness of sin. And so He told His disciples to go into all the world and preach the Gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And this morning, you can put your faith in Jesus Christ... You can believe that He is the Son of God and allow that belief to move you to repent and to confess the name of Christ before men and to be buried with our Lord in baptism. That's exactly what we, are, we see in the New Testament. That's what Jesus tells us that we must do. What a day that will be. Think about that when the Lord returns. It's something that you and I could look forward to if we're prepared for that day. But I want us also look at that last verse in First Corinthians the fifteenth chapter, because with, when we hear all of the truth, we also need to re- realize Paul says, therefore, because all of this is true, because of all the things that he's saying, all of that's true, therefore, how should we live our lives? And so he tells us, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Therefore, if there's a resurrection like Jesus says, and like Paul is talking about here, then we need to be steadfast. Hold firm. Don't be doubtful. Don't wonder if we're really going to come forth out of the grave. Don't think about, is Jesus. Did Je-? there's no way Jesus came out of the grave. We can trust what the Bible teaches, but we need to remain steadfast. Unmovable always abounding in the work of the Lord. And realize that the work that you're doing for the Lord, the life you're living as an example and a light in this world, is not in vain. So this morning, if you need to respond to the invitation, you can come and have a seat up here on the front row. You have that opportunity while we stand and sing.